0: Hi, Kunashni.
1: Hi, Siddharth. How are you doing?
0: I'm amazing. How are you?
1: Good, good. That's good to hear. I'm doing well. Thanks.
0: How's nice Chennai? To be here. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. How's Chennai?
1: Uh, Chennai is good. Uh, pretty humid and hot right now, but uh, can't complain. Going well.
0: Which part of Chennai are you in?
1: Uh, right now, I'm in Adyar.
0: Ah, I love that place. Love that place uh okay 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 so uh yeah we're here to talk about uh, sports psychology mental health and a few other stuff you've been keeping up with the olympics
1: yes yes of course
0: what what were your thoughts on um, the big story the big mental health story
1: um, I wasn't surprised, actually. It happens a lot in sports. It just ha- it just got uh, highlighted this time in the Olympics, pretty much. So it's good that these things are coming out, but I think they should be normalized much more. But uh, yes, really happy to know that athletes and their supporters are standing up for this now.
0: You think it was uh, the right decision on her part? Was it the right decision because it's... Uh dangerous sport or do you think it was a it was the right decision in general
1: i think it doesn't matter whether the sport is dangerous or not you could just be going into work and sitting behind a screen and um, not twisting and tumbling in the air and still you know take a back seat because of your mental health so it doesn't matter what task is at hand it matters about how you're feeling that time at that moment of time emotionally and mentally and if you if you feel you need to take a time out then you're completely entitled to that right neither you nor me are in any of those athletes shoes so we have no idea what we're going through even as a psychologist it's still the individual who knows their story their best right so if they feel they need a break then they know that best right so whether it's gymnastics whether it's um uh, skiing which is also high intensity or whether it's you know like i said just going into work sitting behind a screen you a mental health break is a mental health break
0: Understood. I'm going to give pushback because of the sake of giving pushback. She took somebody's place. If she wouldn't have gone to the Olympics, somebody else who wanted that dream would have um, taken her place. But she decided at the last moment during the Olympics don't you think she has a responsibility to probably have a proper check of her mental health before the Olympics? Or are you saying it's a very real time thing where it can happen any at any point of time and it's not something that builds up to a certain stage?
1: It can happen at any point of time. Even if you do a psychological assessment a week before, or even a few days before the actual tournament, you have no way to predict how the athlete is going to feel at that moment of time. There are a lot of things that go on. Even though they are constantly undergoing their mental training, there is an immense amount of pressure that can happen at any point of time. And since you mentioned, you know, she took somebody else's place. If she knew earlier, she could have, you know, uh, withdrawn earlier and let somebody else go. And you know, she has a responsibility to keep. So let me ask you, so where you said you're in Pune right now, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And have you been to Mumbai?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. And I'm sure at some point, um, there's also the Mumbai Pune Highway, right? The expressway. And I'm sure a lot of people travel by that highway route as well. Right, right,
0: right, right.
1: So imagine you have a call and you have to travel to Mumbai for an urgent meeting since you started the start time. and a lot of things need to be done so imagine you have to travel to mumbai on that day and a few days back you hired a driver a really professional well-class driver to take you there you know he's going to come on time he's going to take you there right and um, you've said everything you're absolutely ready so that driver has taken the responsibility to get you there on time and deliver you to where you need to be but on the day that you have to leave at six in the morning he says i'm not feeling well i don't know if i should um uh, you know take the day off or not and I don't know if I'll be able to drive there. Now, are you willing to risk your own health and your own safety by saying, no, it was your responsibility, you have to take me there? Right? And force the driver to get into the car, drive you along the highway, the expressway, when he's clearly stated that he's physically or mentally not feeling up to that mark. Now, if you're, no, I want to get help, I wouldn't want to risk my own life. For that particular road if you're not willing to risk your own life why would you ask somebody else to risk their own life and perform and play just because they've given their or commitment if that makes sense to you
0: fair enough fair enough the issue I think is that it was the Olympics it wasn't it wasn't a drive to Mumbai and I think that's where all the that's where the discussion is basically the focus is because because it was the olympics it happens once in four years right so um
1: that's very important happens once in four years and if she were to go up on the uneven bars take a few swings slip up because of that fear and anxiety break her neck then would you be responsible saying no she should have gone because it was a responsibility. Or then would you have said, if she was not feeling up to the mark, she should have just taken a break. And if she would have slipped up and fallen in the uneven bars or the balancing being of whatever event it was, and if that would have then cost the American team the gold medal, then what you would have said, The let us sit out. So it's, it's great to talk about these things, you know, on hindsight, or they should have done this, or they should have done that. But if it went the other way, you'd still have something to say. So we can keep talking about these and all these hypothetical situations whether somebody should have done something or should have not done something, but we really can't say much because we're not in their shoes and health and mental health is a very important thing that you have no idea what she was going through and what yeah. could have happened if she would have got injured, if the American athletes, if the American team could have lost their, their position or their medal because of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. So, football you started football when
1: um football for me started much earlier when i was very young i think in the 5th standard almost and um, i always wanted to be the goalkeeper because i loved diving so it started uh, way back then and uh, i made my way from there uh, playing for the school playing for the state and then finally to the national team so, how was the yes, it started there?
0: How was your experience?
1: Uh, it was a great experience, yeah. playing like my first tournament um, at the nationals was playing for Maharashtra. So that was the under 14, if I remember. And I was the captain at that time. And it was actually in Chennai, right here, uh, in Tamil Nadu. And we were playing uh, Tamil Nadu as, for our final match. And it was a great experience. I was very young, but it showed me a lot about the country and the sport and how things are going here. And after that tournament, I played one more national. Under 15, and then I got a call for the India camp. So, going up for the camp, three different camps just to get selected, it uh, was a very rigorous procedure. But once you get there, once your name gets called and you see that jersey, uh, it's it's a beautiful feeling. It's a feeling I can't explain. Mm.
0: So, um, when was this? When was the under 17 call up? Uh,
1: as in, which year was it in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This would have been in 2010, 2009
0: or 2010. How has football, uh, have you been in the industry in the football space for a bit to know how much it has changed, how the landscape has changed in the last decade or so?
1: Yes, yes, I continued playing football after that. I played for the senior team as well for Maharashtra. And then I went abroad to Canada for my studies um, on the International Leader of Tomorrow Scholarship, studied as you know at University of British Columbia. And I played football over there as well for the Vancouver United Football Club. So I spent a good few years playing over there, got a lot of exposure to how the sport is there. Then I came back to India and the year that I was black, I played the nationals again for Maharashtra. So I've been in touch with the sport. And right now, currently, as I practice as a sport psychologist, I'm working with many different football teams, different academies across the country. And so it's, it's a good insight to see and monitor how things are going. So definitely, the sport has changed. Uh, there's a there's a lot, there's a a lot much huger platform, especially with the ISL and all of these um, different bodies coming in, pumping a lot of enthusiasm into the game. Uh, I, was, I was associated with FC Goa the previous season. So watching how they develop, how their game goes, so yes, I've been in the industry in football, still am, still working right now um, with many different coaches, academies, also working with footballers outside the country. So it's good to then compare how things are going here versus how their professional leagues are going there. And uh, yeah, things have definitely gone upward, and it's very promising. Um, the women's team still has a lot more uh, scope to go further, and I'm sure that will be done soon as well.
0: Inshallah. Um i've been ha- i had a look at your page uh, before the call love your work you're doing a lot of work in the mental health space in the sports psychology space um, what's what's neuroscience
1: so neuroscience is basically the biology under the psychology so it's it's what's happening exactly in the brain as we speak as we speak to each other, we talk about all these uh, different topics, uh, whether an athlete plays, what, when you're going to work, when you're sitting, anything that you're doing, the psychology behind that and the biological basis in the brain behind that at the tissue level, at the cells level. So what neural networks are firing, what parts of the brain are being activated, that's what neuroscience is, studying the uh, functionality of the brain responsible for all these mental functions.
0: Hmm. Should athletes know about this, or should they just have a surface level knowledge of it?
1: Um, They should know about it. They should know about um, psychology for sure. Uh, Psychology is a very important uh, field, which gives you a lot of insight, not just in other people's life, but more so into your own life, how things are affecting you. So learning a a few basic fundamental principles of psychology will help athletes understand how their own psychology is affecting their game and performance. So that's why I have a lot of introductory uh, workshops and psychology classes for athletes and students to understand what is sports psychology and how can this whole mental aspect affect your game so much. The neuroscience side, they don't need to know it that much because that's going more into the research and into the biology. What will really help the athletes is the psychology and the mental training, the tools and tips that they can use to get a stronger mindset.
0: Mm. All right, all right. So um, I think you had done a workshop around the athlete's brain, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, yes, there have been several workshops around that. Which one are you referring to?
0: I have no clue. Anyway, uh, yeah, so what do you mean by uh, the athlete's brain, like how, how different is it from a musician's brain or any, or anyone who doesn't play sport?
1: Right. So, um, there are a few differences. So all of our brains are, are wired very differently and it specializes into what we're doing on a daily basis. So what are the kind of activity or kind of um, as you engage with on a daily basis, those specific areas in your brain develop much stronger. So if you compare an athlete to an elite athlete to an amateur player, they have a few mental differences in terms of their uh, ability, their their spatial ability to analyze a situation. So it's called their visual spatial attention. So as you know, athletes they have to look at the field in front of them and quickly analyze the position of different players and uh, the position of the ball, their own. Sp- their own body position in space and make quick decisions very fast so there are a few mental skills which they are more experts in for example like i said visual spatial attention there's also quick decision making right there's also many other factors in terms of their resilience in terms of their optimism so any kind of um, mental functions which are more so controlled in athletes those particular brain areas which correspond to those mental functions will be much more uh, stronger in athletes for example so if you take an example of visual spatial attention i'll give you this example of chess players so when you compare elite chess players to non-chess players because they have a mental representation constantly of what the board will look like of what the pieces will look like once they keep moving on that area in the brain which is responsible for this is more highly developed than amateur players or just even. And when I say more heavily developed, it means the gray matter volume, it means the strength of the connections and all those things that happen at a biological level. So yes, athletes' brains are different and the the more constantly they engage in their sport and different activities, their brain uh, strengthens in different ways than it does to us. A mathematician's brain, the more he engages in that, those special functions in the brain will develop much stronger.
0: Right, can you, okay, is that subject or sport specific wherein it develops only in that area for that specific sport or can it be applied elsewhere? And does it help, like just for an example, let's say uh, you mentioned the chess player or the footballer. Mm -hmm. Once they develop that spatial, thing that you mentioned, can that be applied elsewhere and can it be used to their benefit elsewhere or is it just for the game?
1: It definitely overspills and and helps in many other things. So if you're playing a sport and that helps your visual attention or that helps your concentration or maybe your own self-confidence, all these mental aspects that get enhanced when you play your sport, definitely spill over into other aspects of life so that's why we say for kids and for children sports and exercise is so important in terms of brain development because whatever you're learning on the field not just your physical fitness but how your mind is being developed as well in terms of all these small things you know decision making uh, processing speed all these things and even the social interactions we see research has seen that all these mental changes that happen in kids are reflected in other areas of their life as well so in general kids have a higher sense of self-confidence, they're more calmer, they're more confident, they have better emotional regulation. So definitely playing sports has a huge number of uh, mental benefits, like you said, which spill over to other things. And even within sports, for example, different sports like swing, football, golf, they sound very different, but there are a few mental skills which are common to all athletes playing sports in general, which you can call the sporting personality. Right, the resilience, their confidence, their ability to push forward. So, whichever sport you're in, right, it's general. So, those mental skills can 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 um, overlap between different sports and also spill over to the to the other aspects of the athlete's life. There are also sport-specific skills. So, football and golf may have a few different mental skills, and footballers might be more specialized in that. Golf players less so specialized in the other. Uh, mental skills so few overlapping few general few specific and in general all kind of mental activity that gets enhanced while playing sports spills over uh, into uh, life as well
0: Hmm. Okay. okay so there's transferability now when we talk about these skills are there layers and levels to this as well because would you say Okay, there must be because somebody who's at the international level would definitely have some of those aspects at a much higher level or more advanced, as compared to somebody who's in the amateur level, right?
1: Sorry, could you repeat the question?
0: Yeah, so these skills that you mentioned, there are mm-hmm. uh, there should there must be different layers and levels to it, right? Because somebody in the international level would definitely have a more advanced um level of skill you can say as mental skill you can say as compared to a national level player or um or an amateur right
1: yes it depends when you start quantifying it it can vary along different kinds of spectrums so as as experience goes higher, the pressure goes higher. You learn to adapt to those environmental changes and that pressure. So your focus gets enhanced. Your concentration gets gets enhanced. An elite player needs a very high amount of concentration. So definitely, as you go forward in sports, your mental skills also get much more enhanced.
0: Right. 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 So um, can, can these mental skills outweigh talent wherein somebody somebody can make it through to the international stage because they have all these mental their mental skills are at such a high level as compared to somebody who's talented but their mental skills aren't at that level
1: Uh, See, all three are equally important, your physical skills, your technical skills and your mental skills. You need all three, you can't just be very confident, but not know the skill that it needs to take to defeat your opponent. You can't say I'm I'm very confident, very strong, very focused. But when the ball is delivered, you have no idea whether to hit it left or right. Mm -hmm. So technique is very important. Now, what happens is When you enhance your mental skills, it gives you an advantage over the other opponent when your technical skills are at par. So if your technical skills are at par, your physical fitness is at par, then your mental skills will give you that advantage. So you cannot fly solo just on mental skills, right? Otherwise, you can just sit and visualize and win the match. That's not going to happen. So you need to have a good body, a good technique, and also a strong mind.
0: Can you remain confident even when you're not winning
1: have you played sports i have Uh, which sport have you played tennis okay and how was your experience when you played tennis
0: my confidence took a hit when i didn't win
1: so your confidence dropped when you were winning you said
0: it dropped when i wasn't winning
1: okay and tell me more about your experience
0: I was relating confidence to the result of the game so regardless I mean okay I understand that when you do play well your confidence doesn't drop and you play well and you don't win your confidence doesn't drop as much but eventually if you have to look at results and you uh, and you see that, you didn't perform as per expectations or you lost your confidence does dip is what my experience was so the question was can can you maintain a level of confidence even when you're not winning
1: okay so you said that when you were not winning your confidence definitely dropped and also a lot of the times your confidence was tied directly to the expectations of the outcome. Is that right? Right. Yeah, so it's a tricky question and there's no right or wrong. Every player's psychology is different and that's why I asked you about your experience. How people respond to situations is very different. Some people when they're winning when everything goes right and there's no reason to uh, feel low or get nervous, their confidence can drop at that time as well. Confidence is a very subjective experience. Any kind of psychological phenomena is a very subjective experience. In science, we try to generalize it, try to understand it more specifically but it's very difficult to predict what a particular variable will be at um, for everybody in general. If you know one person's psychology, what affects them, how things affect them then it's much easier to predict. So if I know you, if I know what works for you, what doesn't work for you as a tennis player, and uh, you've come to me as Siddharth, and you're talking about so many different things. And once I start to understand what factors affect your confidence in what particular ways, I'll be, I'll be better able to uh, predict how that will be for you, right? So it's very difficult to answer these things on a general level. And if you do answer it, it makes no difference because nobody can take that and apply that directly to themselves, right? They have to understand what works specifically to themselves. But having said that to answer it, very generally, if you're winning, yes, you can still be confident. You can still have a strong mindset. If you're not focused on the results, if you're just focused present in the moment, being mindful, focusing on your strengths, being happy with whatever performance is going. Yes, you can be confident. You, If you're not winning, you cannot be confident. If everything's going perfect, like I said, you can be confident and you can, if everything's going perfect, you can also see a drop in confidence. Why? Because fear of it suddenly switching, fear of failing, fear of too many expectations, fear of absolutely anything. So in any situation, anything can happen. It depends on which player we're looking at, who we're looking at, what's his level of playing.
0: All right. Um, So there's no hack, there's no hack to this. It's a personalized, um, like you mentioned, it's a personalized experience and probably only, experts um, certified professionals would be able to analyze the situation and guide the player accordingly right
1: yes yes definitely it's very nice that you know you mentioned that like um, it's very relevant actually people come to me and say you know give me one tip I can do to boost my confidence or sometimes what happens is a player they call me right before the match and say you know "Uh, ma'am I have my match now Um, you know and expect me to say something, say some few magical words which are gonna make them win that championship. And uh, I'm wondering what exactly they want me to say because there is no magic pill, there is no one shot, there is no hack. It is constant mental training, understanding your strengths and weaknesses, personality wise, and then going for it. Just like you can't start your physical training or learn how to serve one day before your match, the same way you can't learn to build a confident personality and confident mindset with one hack or one thing. I can tell you one thing, but you need to practice it for a long amount of time, Mm -hmm. along with a few other things. You can't just work on your calf muscles and uh, have good power. You need all the different muscles to work together. That's how the brain is. Visual attention, concentration, resilience, mental toughness, all of that has to come together. Now, you might have good mental toughness, but um, not so attention. like you might be very confident, But very distracted so what is what is lacking exactly in you that's why we do a psychological assessment see what the players weaknesses are what their strengths are and then go accordingly
0: Mm. so the pep talks that the the managers or whoever gives is probably just just to get that point zero zero one percent extra just get them motivated it's it It's not really how can you put this it's not really a solution it's just just to give them a boost right that you see in the middle of the at half time or whatever
1: yes a peptide has its own role, and if you take that away completely if that is absent it's not necessarily a good thing either but with it being there it's not necessarily the key to a good performance, right? It has its own role, it plays its own role, whether it's the manager, whether it's the coach, it, the athlete kind of starts building that expectation that the coach will come, give some feedback, motivate something, and they take that in in that moment. But whatever they say will definitely have some kind of impact in that moment, but not complete kind of change in the brain structure. Mm-hmm. If the brain has been, you know, assaulted consecutively over time before. It's about how you've trained your mind over time on how you'll perform. Right? It's just before going in, if you do a quick workout before, it's not going to make much of a difference. It's how you've trained your muscles over time is what's going to make the difference. So even a coach coming in, it could go right, it could go wrong but if you want 100% that no matter what comes at you, if it goes right, then you have to work on your mental training for a longer period of time. Then it doesn't matter if somebody's motivating you, not motivating and giving you tips at the last minute, not giving you tips, you know uh, your, your mindset tips different technical skills i'm talking about motivation and the mental boost
0: right right okay um this podcast is doesn't really have any structure so i'm just gonna ask uh, anything at any time and then i may get back to this topic as well sure sure yeah so when it comes to the mental training right and uh psychology and stuff do you feel that in india it's just the top people who are at the top of the game or the you know the top five athletes the top teams who are focusing who feel they need it and the ones who are you know let's say coming up the ranks or in the middle aren't really focusing on it as much because of various factors, like they consider this uh, a luxury?
1: Um, Honestly, it's not uh, so much about considering it as luxury. It's more about awareness. A lot of athletes um, at the uh, state level, at the district level, are not aware of the services of a psychologist. They haven't heard of this much before. And this happens a lot um, across the country because Forget about sports psychology. Psychology in general is something that people aren't uh, very aware of, right? So it's something that they they just don't know. Even the top athletes, the elite athletes, I spoke uh, recently last month to a boxer and he's uh, number two in India. He he was second in the India India Open boxing championship. And uh, when I spoke to him, he said, You know, this is my first uh, session with a psychologist. And I had no idea. Like I had a few sessions prescribed by the organization. But we always thought, you know, what's the point of this? We don't really need this. And we always skipped it uh, during the afternoon sessions and instead, you know, just uh, relaxed in the room. And when I had that first session with him, he realized this is so important. The mental skills are so important. We need to work on this aspect. So this is, you know, not a junior player, not uh, a state player, state level player, but an elite player, an international player who's represented in India in many tournaments abroad. And it was his first session of psychology after many years of training. So if awareness is lacking there, you can see where the rest of the athletes will be at. So it's not so much that, you know, only the elite athletes think they need it, it's the other, They nobody knows that it exists and it's something that can help them, right? There's also affordability factors and a lot of things come in, but I think with the awareness going up and the organizations themselves taking more interest in it, they can provide this kind of, um, support to the athletes as well.
0: Definitely. I mean, I personally feel like through my experience that, you know, awareness is one of the most important things because, okay, I'll give you an example of tennis because I was in the tennis uh, field, right? There were a lot of Mm -hmm. athletes who were at the top of the rankings, mainly because they were really talented, right? But they were not, you can say, as hardworking or had, they didn't have a really good work ethic as compared to a lot of players who were at the top 100, at the who were ranked 70 or 80 or, you know, even the 200 rank, right? There's so many athletes, so many players playing tennis. And um, if these players had access to, had the awareness to go to a sports psychologist, a counsellor, um, who knows where they could have ended up, right? Because there were a lot of these factors that were probably holding them back that were and were preventing them from reaching the top uh, half of the rankings, the top of their game, reaching their maximum potential, right? And there's so many careers wasted, and this is just tennis and for sure all the other sports, so many careers wasted and not uh, that uh, only because they weren't able to tap into the potential of their mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, this happens. So, like I said, if you if you have your technique and physical fitness good, but you're not working on your mental training, it's gonna cost you at some point of time whether it's at a junior tournament or up there in the elite matches.
0: Right. So, uh, all right. uh, Getting back to a bit around this stuff. Can mental toughness be forced onto athletes? Can you make them headstrong? Or does do they have to put in the work themselves?
1: What do you think? How, how can you make an athlete mentally strong?
0: Okay, so according to me, there are two ways to go about it. There are some who are already headstrong because of their circumstances. For whatever reason, they may not have the funds and they're in the sport knowing that that's the only way to... Uh, you know, working hard and whatever is the only way uh, they have a chance of making a living or anything of that sort. And there's also another another set of people. Mesa um, Amun, you'll mostly find them at the, uh, who are from families who are well-to-do, who have a sort of backup and they don't really need the sport, right? But they're probably very talented. They they may be hardworking as well, but you need to force them to go the extra mile. You need to act actively do it for them to follow through with it and reach their potential. You need someone at the back, keeping them accountable, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, definitely, I do think uh, social background affects the motivation level of an athlete. Um, if you're talking about athletes who come from poor backgrounds, sport is an escape for them in their life, in a country like India. So when they get an opportunity to play for their country or to play for their state, it's not just the sport that they, that they love and they're playing for, definitely that, that passion is there. But there are a lot of benefits that come with playing that sport for that particular individual such as a government job security, or a promise for their family for a better quality of life. So that additional motivational factor is always there for athletes who come from a poor background. You can see this, I can talk from my own experience when um, I, I played with different athletes who came from different states in India, different backward states. And for them, it was a huge boon being part of the camp and being part of the team, because it, it, it the, the respect they get, the benefits they get back home uh, monetary and otherwise is uh, is very very valuable for them. And uh, coming back to examples in the entire country, you can see all the top players that we have. A lot of the top players who are there come from you know such backgrounds from poor families. So definitely this is a huge motivational factor. And uh, um, families maybe they have this additional motivational boost that they have to do it for a living or they have to do it for their families so for them motivational factors could be different it could be purely for the love of the game it could be for that respect that they want Um, it could be for endorsements it could be absolutely anything and again comes back down to the to the individual level how this affects mental toughness again like we discussed earlier in the podcast it's a very individual phenomena you can have someone from a rich background having a very tough mindset someone from a poor background having a very uh, weak mindset right or uh, vice versa it, it could go anyway but definitely coming from a poor background gives you an additional motivational boost to go through anything so it does affect an athlete's resilience and gives them that slight mental advantage to so, you know to go through anything no matter what whereas somebody else who doesn't have that motivation who doesn't need to do the sport doesn't need to do the sport to get out of that rut to have a better life for themselves they may um, slip up or may go back uh, because they don't have that other things holding them up
0: Mm. but
1: they can still do it if they have a different sort of motivation
0: so can you push them to become resilient the ones who don't have it
1: how can you push them what do you mean by
0: monitoring them
1: monitoring how forcing them forcing how
0: giving them no option how i don't know or giving them no option in the sense um probably taking something away from them
1: so athletes who have no motivation uh, how can we push them further You said by giving them no option. Um, Yeah, taking something
0: uh, away from them to make them... Condition them to become um, resilient in order to get what was taken away from them.
1: What... uh, I'm brainstorming, I don't know. Hypothetically, what did you take away from the athlete? For
0: example, uh, uh, an athlete... um, from a probably good background um the family takes away oh yeah rich background takes away their any anything their phone this their playstations just so that you know they um get into certain habits may if that can make them more resilient in 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 the sense that uh, making them uh Making it mandatory for them to do, you know, a two-hour fitness each and every day of the week, and only then you get whatever the the phone back, and that that's how you how that's how they can maybe build resilience or the toughness to be able to handle, uh, you know, going away from luxuries and building it up.
1: Right. So I don't know if that will help mental toughness, but it might help getting that two hour fitness workout done if you take away that phone uh, from that athlete. But it depends a lot of a uh, lot of different factors. Um, what you're talking about is something in psychology we call as uh, operant conditioning, and it works on a reward punishment system. Mm. So you can't force the athlete uh, because when you said force, I thought of you know pinning someone down, injecting them with something. So I I don't think we do that these days, at least in psychology, Um, but we can use techniques of psychology, principles of psychology, like operant conditioning, like what you mentioned. So reward and punishment. So it could be anything, uh, taking a phone away, doing anything. It might get the job done for that particular event, that particular day, but whether this will boost an athlete's overall mental toughness and make them want to do that every single day, It depends depends on a lot of factors it definitely won't help in intrinsic motivation it will help in extrinsic motivation so motivation again um, to just define what these two things are let's take that two-hour fitness workout example you said to complete that two-hour fitness workout example an athlete who doesn't want to do it whatever background he's from you tell him if you do this you get to go out tonight with your friends or oh, if you do this, I'll give you a cash price of 50,000. That is an ex- extrinsic reward, an extrinsic motivated external, right? So it, it may or may not work based on several factors of the reward. So these are called um, different reward criteria, such as the intensity of the reward, the frequency of the reward, and how valuable the reward is to that particular athlete. So if you take the phone, if you take the cash price, whatever you're doing, in terms of forcing, we're not forcing them, but that's the what uh, idea we had earlier. So it's the kind of reward you're giving. Mm. So in terms of the intensity of the reward, how much is it? Right, How valuable that phone is? Is it an expensive phone? Is it a cheap phone? How frequently are you giving? Are you, are you giving it right after the workout? Are you giving it during the workout, after every push-up, after every set or are you giving it after every seven days? So these frequency of rewards also affect the motivation of an athlete and also how valuable that particular item is to that particular person so you can have an athlete who doesn't give a shit about their phone you can have an athlete who you give the most expensive phone to them it doesn't make a difference to them or it does if it does if you give it every time the frequency of that reward will lower the motivation as well or another factor is how valuable it is to that particular athlete, like we talked about. So that the intensity, the satiation, that's what we call it. when a reward, when you're done with it, when you don't want money, you've, you've, you've had that phone a lot of the time, mm. it's not that important to you, if you're satiated. So there are these different factors, um, whether, whether you can get an athlete to do something or not, when you do this on a regular basis, if it will affect their mental toughness in general or not, maybe, maybe not. It comes back to intrinsic motivation and I think this is the kind, this is the question you're getting at. Can you force somebody to want something intrinsically and the answer unfortunately is no because whatever you're doing always is an extrinsic kind of conditioning an environmental mm. uh, situation you put them in whether it's cash, price, phone, reward, this, that, price, money. Right? It's very extrinsic and if they really want that, if they desire that, and if you're able to construct that psychological conditioning very well, then it might work. But whatever you do, you cannot cannot insert or inject intrinsic motivation into anyone. That comes from purely loving something and wanting to do something for the joy of doing that themselves. It's very difficult to force intrinsic motivation on anyone. But as psychologists and we want desired behavior, we definitely use extrinsic factors. Coaches use that a lot with their players
0: yeah so is intrinsic motivation a factor of success is a, is it a requirement for success
1: again you have to define success for me to answer such a okay. deep question okay.
0: fair enough fair enough making it to the top of the sport becoming an elite athlete do you need to have an intrinsic motivation or can it be done just through extrinsic factors motivation
1: if you see most of the athletes who have made it to the top they have a huge intrinsic factor that's going so i haven't uh, seen many cases that make it there without the intrinsic motivation so by default i definitely think that intrinsic Uh, factors plays a huge role. Because to be the best, you have to love what you do as well. Mm. You can't hate something. And, you know, be at the top, because to be at the top, you have to go through a lot of things in terms of a diet, number of hours of training, traveling constantly. And why do you want to do that? At At some point, you have to love what you're doing to make all these sacrifices mm-hmm. also social sacrifices in terms of family so definitely athletes who do this who manage to do this have a huge intrinsic fire inside them
0: yeah uh it may get confusing uh with regards to intrinsic or extrinsic motivation when uh, i i don't um know the athletes at the top of my head but they you know give reasons like uh, I wanted to be the best UFC fighter for my family, or, um, you know, because we grew up so um, at such a, with very bad surroundings and with no money, and I wanted to have a better, I wanted my family to have a better lifestyle. Uh, so that's where it can get a bit uh, confusing between if that was intrinsic motivation or extrinsic motivation, right?
1: Yeah, for that, you have to ask the athlete why they want to do it. uh, What is in it for them? If the family has a lot of money, if tomorrow I give them a million dollars, give them a good house, and make them feel comfortable, do you still want to play your sport? Mm. That'll help answer that question.
0: Right. Uh, Okay. Um, Moving on to. um, Okay. Now we spoke about motivation. I wanted to go to mental health from there. So when it comes to mental health yeah uh, again back to the simone biles and um, Na- naomi osaka thing how do you regulate the mental health uh, part of things when kids are watching the sport and they decide not to put in the hard work uh, and give mental health as a reason
1: So you're asking, uh, how do you tackle when people use mental health as an as excuse? An excuse.
0: Yeah.
1: For that, you have to be, you have to educate yourself and make yourself very aware with what exactly good and bad mental health looks like. You have to understand the signs and symptoms of various mental conditions, whether it's general anxiety, depression or any other kind of serious cases. Uh, You have to ask the athlete, have an honest conversation with them, what exactly they're going through, be a little more sensitive, be a little compassionate, uh, understand what experiences they're sharing, and then match that with recognize and established signs of mental health. When you do that, you'll be able to understand whether what they're saying is a genuine concern or they're trying to use it as an excuse. And once you have this understanding, once you're yourself educated with what good mental health looks like, then you can take that case forward with your child with your athlete with whoever it is
0: Mm. so but at the very ground level what would parents do if um, kids don't want to push themselves and give these reasons can parents accurately diagnose um these Uh, give me an example
1: of a a childhood so
0: just, I won't say a child. Just yeah, just for an example, um, the person doesn't want to put in the hours when it comes to stuff they don't want to do. And they give an
1: example.
0: I, I'll just give I fitness because fitness is some of the is one of the things uh, they don't want to do, right? A uh, lot of athletes, so they give fitness as an excuse. Um, they give they mention that uh, no I'm, I'm not feeling up for it today um, my mental health is not right because of whatever external factor they have relationship problems maybe I don't know so mental health seems very vague how do you can you quantify it How can you so say? I'm um, how? How do you, um, you know, let's say, how do you distinguish not feeling good on that day and having mental health issues?
1: Isn't it kind of the same thing? If you don't feel well, it could be because you're having a mental health issue.
0: You can still go. You can still go through your workout and you can still still push through it, which is required to make it to the top even when you have, you've had a breakup, right? You'd still, uh, you still go, uh, we didn't have the excuse saying, oh no, uh, my girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with me and uh, I, I I don't feel good and I don't want to work out. I don't want to train for the next one week till I feel better, right? So we didn't have that, I won't say, uh, we didn't have that option, right? But now how do you get it into the system where you're accurately able to diagnose that, it's a mental health issue and it's not you're not feeling good and you still have to do things regardless despite not feeling good about it.
1: Right. So I think what you're asking is at what point do you take a break yeah. and sit out because of how you're versus how much do you push yourself?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So this comes down to the individual level. This comes down to personal choice, right? From outside you can say absolutely anything. Right, coach, parent, whatever it is, you, you cannot diagnose right until you actually speak for an hour at length and understand what exactly is going on. You can't make that decision based on one thing they've said. I don't feel good. You need to take time to understand what actually is going on, right? So, from an external perspective, you need time, patience, um, your own awareness about psychology or psychological problems to make that kind of decision. Coming back to whether you should do the workout or not, it comes down to personal choice. On that particular day, uh, when you feel XYZ, when you feel, uh, for example, uh, you're not feeling good. Now, the thing about mental health, it's not one day you wake up and you don't feel good, Mm. right? That's one way to distinguish it between a bad day versus a mental health issue. So when you talk about a mental health issue, and let's take a common uh, case, which is depression. Depression has a lot of different factors associated low mood concentration and in an extreme case suicidal tendencies now when it when you feel a lot of these symptoms not necessarily all of them but we have a diagnostic criteria in clinical psychology but when you feel a certain amount of them for an extended period of time again we have a diagnostic criteria for that but as an individual when you see you're feeling this again and again and this is becoming an issue it's up to you on that day to make a decision whether to sit out and not. And what helps to answer the question whether I should push myself, finish that workout, or f- uh, forget workout, let's say a match because the stakes are higher, whether you should finish that match or you should sit out. And when it comes to personal choice, it's it's about understanding the consequences, right? So if I sit out, if I'm really not feeling good, if I sit out, what are the consequences? if if i don't play my match the consequences and is it worth it in terms of it affecting my mental health somebody who chooses to sit out say they're feeling very very emotionally low so sad so um, you know hurt from inside a lot of thoughts a lot of negative thoughts hopelessness a lot of self doubt a lot of self blame unless you've experienced it or talked deeply with someone who has very difficult to understand so when somebody is going through something so seriously, and at the back of mind questioning their existence, right? And you have no idea why this person doesn't want to inside questioning their existence, forget playing sports. They don't even know whether they should be alive at that point of time. Right? So when it gets to that point, when it's that serious, right, and you're just feeling a bad day, you have to ask yourself, right, if you take the time out, right, how much is it going to help? If you miss, if it's if you skip something, you're gonna lose out on something. If you miss your physical workout, it's um, you're not gonna be that physically fit for whatever amount of time. If you miss the match, your team might lose. You, you might lose a chance for the medal or getting selected. Now, that loss is it worth? How much it's gonna affect your mental health? You have to weigh both the options. This comes with your own psychological, uh, you know, psychoeducation knowledge when you weigh these options, you're more equipped as an individual to take that decision. And I'm, I'm sure uh, Simon Biles, who was in that position, was able to weigh both the options and choose what made sense for her. It's mm. not for you, it's not for me, it's not for anybody to ask whether that made sense or not. Because you have no idea what thoughts were in her mind, social media, media is not going to tell you whether she had very serious thoughts, mild thoughts, you have no idea. So Talking about whether an athlete should do it or not makes no sense mm. because it's a choice that they have to make. They're entitled to make what the consequences are. They are going to suffer, and other people are going to suffer them as well. But that's how important health is, and that's why it's super important to to allow people to make their own decisions. right Right. if you go through a mental health crisis i'm not going to come and say you promise to have this interview and promise to have this podcast because i have no idea what you're going through at that point of time
0: yeah i think the issue is uh, of course awareness and the difference is nobody would you know bat an eye if she mentioned that she had a she had an ankle injury right Uh, because it's something physical and mental health is something that's very it's internal. You can't see it. It's, uh, you can say it's an abstract thing, right? Uh, so that I think that's one of the reasons people would always comment on it till there's a lot of awareness on this.
1: For sure.
0: Yeah. All right. So, uh, last question, the social support part of it, uh, we, uh, I guess you wanted to talk about it as well. So, things have changed for sure right because if you give some of these excuses back in the day you'd be made fun of and uh, now they're being
1: is is that as you ask the question you've already labeled it as an excuse so that's the unfortunate thing that exists right now sorry what i'm trying to, what i'm saying here is the unfortunate thing is within your question itself um the, that word has been labeled as an excuse so going forward the way we look at it the perspective we look at athletes talking about any kind of issue mental health issue is already labeled as that mm.
0: yeah You're just
1: pointing out something
0: yeah
1: definitely something
0: definitely uh that's the thing that's the thing so It was definitely considered an excuse um, long back. Even now there's so much more awareness and um, stuff required for it that uh, people would continue to label it an excuse till they've probably experienced it themselves or um, somebody they know has experienced it and they have more knowledge of it. So... Um, Because, like I mentioned, it is the abstractness of the thing, right? So, um, the question was social support.
1: Right. So, the question is how important is social support?
0: Yeah, because uh, previously, back in the day, uh, people would uh, make fun of you for it and now how do you, right now it's obviously getting better and right? people are, um, what can you say, are a- more understanding.
1: So uh, social support is not uh, necessarily at this stage of people uh, claiming they have a mental health issue. Of course at that time it helps tremendously to show that support. But social support needs to start much before that, when you're doing okay, Mm -hmm. when you're just in a normal situation. So when in life, you have a good system around you, a social system of all all kinds of support that you can get. What I really want to advocate for is that it naturally boosts your mental well-being, your confidence, your interpersonal relationships, and your sense of self and sense of worth as an individual. So when you have good company, positive vibes around you, good people, whether it's your work environment, school environment or family environment, it really helps to keep your mental health in check. That's the importance of social support, a friend, a best friend, uh, good parenting, good uh, colleagues and work relationship. So that maintains your uh, mental health so good that it can act as a resilience factor, as a, a preventive factor from stopping any kind of mental health concern from escalating yes of course if you do end up having a more serious mental health condition so social support helps as well but i think um, the importance of it starts much before that
0: wonderful yeah um i do remember a time where you know the environment plays such a huge role where if People are out there making fun of you, uh, you know, are putting you down. It directly affects your game. And uh, when you have a very positive environment um, around you, it it gives you some sort of a backing, knowing that things are going to be all right, right, regardless of the result.
1: Yes, definitely. Social support in sport as well plays a huge factor. When you have that, you know, that I'll be there no matter what, uh, you feel much better versus, you know, those huge expectations that, you know, you have to win this, achieve that, win a goal. So social support and expectations also has huge effect on psychology.
0: Right. All right. Perfect. So um, you probably don't have tips for athletes to what can you say take care of their mental health or you uh, do you consider it more of a personal uh, personalized thing as well that uh, for each person they need a different sort of an approach towards mental health or do you have any tips just in general for their mental health
1: definitely definitely there are things that i can share generally which you can take care of what I meant about personalized is once you have a problem getting out of it what will fix that for you might be different for every athlete right but to make sure your mental health is good there are some things in general that everyone can take care of and number one is starting by educating yourself with what good mental health looks like in terms of the clarity of your thoughts your social connections so try to understand what is a positive mindset for you? What is positive well-being for you? Whether it's going to sleep at night without worrying about the constant thoughts of other people which you usually worry about or whether it's not thinking about your past mistakes all the time. So define what good mental well-being is for you to be able to achieve that. Once you understand what good mental health is like, there are a lot of things you can do to take care of your mental health right and we talk a lot about this in mental training and mm-hmm. sports psychology. So number one tip for athletes, is with your physical training and your technical training start your mental training as well because like Siddhartha and I discussed when your technique matches with your opponent when you're both physically fit what will give you that advantage is your mental strategy and your mental skills your confidence your psychological advantage so work on your mental training number two the things these things you guys know already um when you have a lot of emotions when you have a lot of thoughts don't bottle them up don't suppress it speak about it, talk up about it. If you're not feeling good, address that issue, whether it's to yourself personally, um, or to your friend or somebody you can confide in, or to a professional, right? Get it out. Because the more you let it, um, you know, push down there and uh, suppress it, at some point it's going to come back and hurt your game. So these are two tips in general. Work on your mental training, understand what positive mental health looks like for you. And if you feel anything, don't bottle it up always speak up about it address that mental health concern and don't feel afraid to admit your weakness whether it's about doubting yourself whether it's about being distracted on the field these are things if you avoid and don't talk about it's going to get worse and not help you perform well once you address it once you become more confident and stop all the distractions you will start feeling much better as an athlete and play really well on the day of the match that it comes
0: Perfect. perfect. Um, I do wish I had a sports psychologist uh, when I was training, but uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Athletes, whoever's listening, not a sales call, nothing. You guys definitely, from my personal experience, regardless of what level you are, you definitely should um, have you should visit a, psych, a sports psychologist as soon as you can. A lot of uh, all the developed nations do it. All the ones who are doing extremely well in sport uh, do it right from when they're young. Uh, all of you should. Um, Kunashini, thank you so much. Um, really helps shed light on uh, mental health. Um, I, chose, I chose not to express my opinion in uh public because i didn't have uh you know enough knowledge around it and um i but i was tending towards the no man regardless if uh she has four or five gold medals i was tending towards the no you shouldn't have um done what you did but uh, you uh, really uh, helped uh, shed some more light uh with regards to what could have uh, been going through her mind. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much uh, for this podcast and where can people find out about you? Uh,
1: yes, thank you so much for that. It's truly been a pleasure for me uh, as well to interact with you here and address all of you guys out there. Um, definitely you can reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is uh, kunashani underscore psychologist. I'm sure the link will be there somewhere. Or you can also check out my website, which is just my name, uh, kunnashini.com. And if you want a session, if you'd like to speak, you can always reach out on these platforms. So, yes, thank you again for listening. And thank you, Siddharth, for inviting me. It's been wonderful.
0: Perfect. Yeah, we will have uh, the link in the show notes. So uh, do, uh, I mean, I saw your page today and it's uh, it has a lot of valuable information. So Guys, check out uh, Kunashni's page. And of course, if you're interested, you can definitely get in touch with her directly. And uh, yeah, thank you and enjoy Chennai.
1: Yes, thank you as well. And hope you have a great day and great week ahead. Thank you, Sean.